The first thing to know about executive coaching is that it is very, very expensive. A good therapist with many years of experience working in an Indian metro city costs between three and five thousand rupees a session. A good executive coach with many years of experience working in an Indian metro city costs between twenty thousand rupees to a lakh a session. There are multiple reasons for this. First, training to be a certified coach is expensive. Second, executive coaches work with such a small niche group of clients that they need to and get to charge the world. But this, the steep price tag, informs so much about executive coaching. The price tag shapes who gets to go to an executive coach. It informs the kind of problems executive coaches tend to solve. That price tag is also why we understand so little about executive coaching. Welcome to Cost to Company, the Ken's weekly podcast about work and workplaces. A podcast where we tell you what's happening in your workplace before you hear it on Slack. I'm your host Neha Vakaria, and this week we take you behind the curtains to this specific service available only to the uppermost echelons of affluence and excellence to see just what the rest of us are missing. So um, I think I had I had short temper issues and um, uh, my, and uh, my way of com- compensating for my insecurities for my age while running the company I think uh, uh, came out in form of anger and then I uh, then it became a justification that you know we are itne logo ki team hai mujhe handle karna what can I do right you know uh, you have, one has to be the bad cop and all sorts of justifications that came with it essentially right. and um, i think there came a point when i was like dude this is this is so i'm not hurting anybody else i'm hurting myself and this is just so bad for myself leave leave anybody else who is you know um uh, coming in contact of this but mai apne aap ko jo kar raha hu wo to this is just unacceptable at so many level right so and that that was the day when i was like i need this this is vinay singhal ceo and founder of stage an ott platform for bharat formerly founder and ceo of witty feed while he was still at witty feed vinay met aparna jain a certified leadership coach and the two began talking about what vinay described as short temper issues before we hear from vinay again i want to point out that at this point in his story vinay had already articulated that this is an issue he wanted to solve by sharing this with an expensive coach vinay had already demonstrated awareness agency a commitment to doing something about it and that he was willing to put his money where his mouth is and what did and how did she help how did she help unpack that i think uh, in the way it works it is pretty much like therapy i don't think she has answers for you and uh, her uh, 
coach's job is to nudge you in the right direction and then help you discover those answers yourself and uh, with the cost associated with it, it it makes it easier even to be more committed like do do it or you know you're spending too much money about it etc uh, but also i think then aparna uh, the the coach any any coach what they do to you is they give you a lot of exercises they do a lot of um, um for example she gave a very strange exercise to my wife and my brother who live with me uh, uh they gave an exercise to them that uh, all of a sudden you have to without giving him any warning you have to push him a little bit throughout the day like whenever the idea what do you mean was, by push um basically basically aise mere ko ekdam se unstable kar the the idea was that the i'll i'll be put into an uns, unstable body posture all of a sudden and i have to get back and not be angry about it like not be frustrated not be irritated by it essentially so what did your wife and your friend do they did they did so they would my brother and my wife they would just they matlab wo ekdam se piche se aake mujhe dhakka dai ke baad wo physically unstable karne physically physically one of the one of the ways in which i was able to then finally deal with my anger i think what helped me most was that i was able to basically separate myself from that situation so aparna ne basically mereko ye help kiya ki whenever i am angry i disassociate myself from the situation i sort of time travel like 5 minutes in the future when the anger has settled down and i'm feeling miserable about it i'm feeling very bad about myself and how i have made the other person feel about it through physically learning to bring himself back to his center on his own vinay had learned to practice a mindfulness even when he was most emotionally aroused he was able to think through the consequences of his behavior before the old patterns could kick in okay so we, we so we don't uh, there's no way to establish roi of aparna on any business at 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 this point no there is there is there absolute roi there there is absolute way to define it for example uh the culture at stage versus the culture at vitifeed as a company is like very very different very very different uh so much so that at one point a uh, few months ago I was feeling so bad about how I was at Bittyfeed. I wanted to write an open letter to all my ex-colleagues at Bittyfeed. I wanted to kind of write a apology letter to all of them and say that sorry guys, I was really a very very toxic boss to you guys at that point in time. And you know, I used to be really really angry, and people used to be scared of me. Basically, I I believe I'm a much better CEO and I'm a much better person now just because I was able to handle this better. uh the so presumably your attrition will be better because of coaching but what is better at stage is the rate of innovation the 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 kind of ideas that flow uh because people are not scared of sharing them people are not scared of somebody being angry at them next up is shruti kapoor founder and ceo of wingman a startup at the intersection of sales and ai that was acquired by clary sometime last year and i realized that i was feeling paralyzed with trying to take so many big decisions and like you know i would kind of keep putting off some of those decisions and uh, that was kind of the goal or problem that i went with saying you know how do i become better at making decisions that feel uncomfortable a few months before the acquisition of wingman shruti began to see a coach about her decision making she began coaching with the intent to get better at uncomfortable decision making 
and um, you know eventually what that came out to was like you know you deconstruct it and then you're like okay there is something in my belief system that is holding me back right and you then kind of go back and uh, solve for that right so in this case i was like okay i'm basically worried how people would interpret my decision and why do i care how people would interpret my decision uh, and it's not just about saying can i come up with a better decision making framework but also recognizing you know what um, is actually holding me back from making um or rather executing on the decisions even if you make the best decision uh, it still uh, takes guts to actually execute on that so uh, that was kind of the process that i went through uh, so caring a little bit less about what people think of your decision making in a sense yeah and then and then like trying to actually understand where does that caring come from right and that's kind of when you actually also land up going back a little bit in your past and saying hey uh you know where is this belief coming from and uh, you know what is this belief and this belief is maybe that i'm not good enough and so i have to constantly trying to prove that i'm good enough and like you know why do i uh, think of that so it then becomes a whole process that connects the past and the future uh, but i think just being much more aware of it uh, helps you right so it's again not bulletproof right so it's not that every day suddenly you'll wake up and you'll be like i'm the best decision maker now uh but at least you become conscious of what's holding you back and how have you seen yourself evolve through this process so i think one thing is i've um you know begun to be less um brute force in my approach right so uh earlier i would believe that if i'm not doing something that i should be doing right i just i can overcome anything with will power right uh i have uh, tended to become a lot more uh, questioning about okay firstly accept that this is not happening and then you know you can't just overcome it with will power and therefore try to figure out why it's not happening uh versus saying you know uh, everything is the problem of will power so how to make things easier for ourselves with compassion in a sense yeah yeah how to improve the circumstances that take us to where we want to go without the cognitive force of it exactly and yeah i think uh, that's exactly what it is right like being compassionate and in that compassion then you find the underlying reasons and uh, you know through that you're able to problem solve and find the way forward right so it's not mo- always the highway or uh, not right like you can find that small lane that still gets you forward If you've ever been in therapy, you'll see that in many ways this is like therapy. You learn to reckon with yourself, recognize patterns in your own behavior, try to introduce interventions, sit with discomfort, sit with painful feelings and work our way past them with self-awareness and compassion. But in some ways this is not like therapy at all. We go to therapy for mental health issues, for anxiety, for depression because we're not feeling good and we want to feel better. and maybe you noticed shruti went to a coach with a specific goal to get better at tough decision making to stop putting tough decisions off out of fear what someone might think of her decisions vinay went to his coach with a well articulated goal of doing something about his temper something that made him and those around him feel less bad less scared neither went to a coach because they wanted to feel better they wanted to solve specific articulated professional problem 
and the cost of the executive coach itself was a substantial commitment to solving those specific articulated problems. The price they were willing to pay for it itself was a testament to their resolve. Which is to say that you go to a therapist to feel better, but you go to a coach when there's something you want to solve and you are willing to put serious money on the line to do it. Hi there, I'm Snigdha, the host of Daybreak, a new podcast from the Kent's Newsroom. Instead of chasing the daily news cycle, in each episode in less than 15 minutes, I will tell you one business story that is worth understanding and worth your time. Episodes drop thrice a week on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. You'll find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms. In case you haven't heard it yet, I recommend you start with the episode on Mahindra Finance. It's episode number 17 and it tells the story of a woman's tragic death and how it led India's biggest rural financier to reassess how it recovers bad loads. If you like the show, please do hit subscribe or follow. And also, I would love to hear your feedback. So write to me at daybreak at Thank you for listening to The Ken and now back to Sneha. coach requires more agency and more commitment and awareness of what needs solving. I think that's one of the uh, basic tenets of coaching as well, where the idea is that the coach is not the expert, uh, but you are the person who has the ability to solve your problems. But, you know, the coach is kind of the facilitator in that process. So um, what she does really well is uh, in that sense, basically being true to holding that mirror, uh, right? Rather than giving you suggestions and, um, uh, you know, like basically if you solve that problem yourself, right? And if you come up with a solution, you have much more ownership to trying to make that solution work. You lead a coach rather than the other way around. Versus if somebody, you know, it's like all of us have gone through the situation where we are like, oh, I'm really bad at managing my time. And, you know, somebody tells you, oh, why don't you make this list and do this and all your problems will be solved. And then, you know, you don't do that. Right. But if uh, what a coach does really well and what she does really well is, you know, first making sure that I come up with the solution and then getting me to commit to that solution. Uh, right. Um a lot of times if the solution comes externally, we don't land up implementing it or feeling as committed to it. And there's the fact that these are some of the best business professionals. They're spending non-trivial sums of money, which means they're often thinking of it in terms of return on investment. Sometimes feeling happy and feeling accomplished and feeling like we're doing good work can yield money, growth, opportunities. Exactly. And especially if, uh, you know, you're, you know, if you're on the other side where you're actually running the company that can yield, you know, big results in terms of your ability to uh, make those changes. But, um, and yeah, I, I, I was just saying that, uh, you know, given that you see today funds investing behind having coaches for their portfolio companies, people have uh, definitely understood that there is a lot of ROI uh, to this activity. Next up, we have Rama Venkataraman who is a transformational coach with 22 years of experience. She's also a therapist, which makes her especially good to help us understand the difference between therapy and coaching. Right now, coaching is largely done 
in the corporate world, right? So if somebody is like looking to uh, become the CEO, let's say they're being groomed to become the CEO, take over in the next six to eight months or a year, it's not that they have that opportunity to really go back and they could do it alongside, I would say. Uh, but just sitting with therapy may help. I don't want to say that that's not even an option, but uh, if coaching at that point is required, it's required. So goal setting seems to be the like you know a big difference. It is, and uh, somehow when it's like goal setting, right? Uh, I don't want to put it as uh, very very um, just things to do, right? I think when you're setting goals in coaching, it has to be transformational and audacious. And that is because you're not looking to achieve something. You're looking to become, you know, this person or the better, you could call it the better version of yourself or a version of yourself that's more accepting, whatever it is, right? You just want to push yourself, see, hey, what's the best? A person going to a coach has something specific they want to achieve within a specific time frame. Ambitious and audacious goals. And goals could include to be a better decision maker, to be a colleague who can get work done amicably. The goal could be to be taken more seriously by seniors. The goal isn't to feel better. The goal is to become something. And just like goals are set, goals must also be evaluated. You're evaluating the outcome when uh, it is uh, coaching. So typically when a client comes, I do a feedback uh, and a 360, so to speak. So it, it would be with the boss, with all the stakeholders, right? And often stakeholders are thought of as just the boss, but the stakeholder can be your, is your spouse also. So I do this uh, stakeholder thing of looking at all stakeholders from peers to juniors to Sometimes you think of just your boss and maybe your boss's boss. And um, and we also take feedback from, uh, I always take feedback from one person in the family, a peer, a junior, a boss. So get this entire system. And at the end of the engagement, we collect another feedback. In coaching, unlike in therapy, a client comes in with an articulated goal and objective the coach evaluates at the end whether those goals have been met using user feedback. In therapy, I could just say, I'm feeling good talking about this. I feel like I have the space. I'm feeling validated. And uh, I could probably say, yes, I went for those meetings and it was nice. I don't have to say that I went for the meetings I did this and that has got me this job because the end goal here was he had to become the senior manager. The success of therapy is more ambiguous. It is to learn to manage ourselves better, to love ourselves more truly, accept ourselves more sincerely. But in coaching, a goal is set and the degree of its achievement is then evaluated. Target setting, return on investment, feedback evaluations. The more I think about it, coaching is therapy, but for thoroughbred capitalists. Where coaching has given me a lot of um, a lot of joy that it gives me, and that's why I'm also a coach, is 
there is forward movement somewhere that action oriented somewhere that moving forward you know and it's not just about a feeling and moving um uh, it's there is momentum to it this action of like and that's a different kind of a feel good it's not one or the other that at different points in our life we need different things um but there is great value for me in uh, coaching because sometimes uh, what therapy is not allowed to do the push and the thing coaching can give you that make you look forward yeah growth momentum forward thinking what in therapy we derisively call solutioning these are the things that make coaching for professional excellence what therapy is for mental health just like the substance of executive coaching is shaped by its cost so is the practice of it and i'm going to ask you specifically about corporate coaching have you found that you have far more male clients than female in corporate coaching yes so it's not enough that the men <laughs> had an unfair advantage to begin with but is there a similar language now developing among in this uppermost echelons of success male cohorts where they are now sharing you know i went to this coach who helped me with my temper issues so to speak and uh, is that is that happening and is it a boys club i don't know if it's like a boys club i think it's a breath of it's a sigh it's like just a, a sigh of relief for men because there are a lot of uh, you know the men do live in a world where they are have no um, their emotions for them to be expressed uh it is i'm not saying it's hard for men i'm saying society has made it in such a way and i think men are breaking that in many ways and i think it's a safer thing than therapy mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. i'm in therapy mm-hmm. i'm going to a coach because it feels forward movement action oriented i'm But going to and, and all other male ceos are also going so you know yes so it is acceptable it is i think anything that the society allows and I, for me it's a it's a good thing because i think uh, men are getting to speak about their emotions and their coaching sessions and it all just kind of you know comes in uh, the reason why uh, more men, male clients than female is uh, look at every most people in the senior positions how many women do we actually have i think as that equation changes i'm assuming that uh, the coaching i don't think it's coaching is creating that space that it is for men and not for women it the is same the way therapy is not hmm. yeah it is just the imbalance of uh, men and women in these uh, roles that is so first the fact that it's so expensive makes it accessible to only the most professionally successful and financially autonomous and most of those spots are taken by men second because it's fundamentally solution oriented which itself is a function of the cost men do find it easier than therapy and third and this is significant good coaches are found entirely by word of mouth through personal recommendations and men have deeper access to these recommendations than women 
Think about it. When you're a male business leader, you build deep professional relationships with clients, vendors, and leaders of other businesses you work with, most of whom are also male. You find other male leaders you trust, and then you hear about coaches through these incumbent networks of mostly male leaders. It is not by design, but a second-order effect of this price. Women get left out of the networks of personal recommendations of good executive coaches. In some ways, it's not all bad. It allows these ambitious, motivated, mostly men to reckon with themselves, learn more about themselves, express themselves. But because women are so sparse in these networks, they just get left out of the loop. So, do you recommend that women, when they can afford it, should really use coaching to get ahead? Definitely, I think it's hundred percent essential because. Uh, a power move <laughs> in a sense, right? If it's action-oriented, if you want to move forward, we are able to um, think, feel, uh, reflect, I think process a lot better because we also have uh, the sisterhood, right? And if we can just add the coaching bit to it and everybody's like, go girl, <laughs> you know, and you move forward, that's like, a, it's a great space to, for women to have. And to be clear, it isn't just the male and the odd female CEO that has access to coaching, though that is most often the case. There are other odd packets of people who have access to coaches. You know, the one thing about consulting companies is that they realize that people are the product that they are making, right? Companies like McKinsey, they actually give you access to coaches. So they have like an empaneled set of coaches uh, and you can actually access the coaches Shruti has been so changed by coaching that she's taking it to her entire team. So some of the venture funds today also, you know, have a set of coaches that they will bring on board, right? And they will provide access to, um, you know, the CXOs. And in a lot of cases, not just the CXOs, uh, you know, they would actually have coaches even for anybody who's a people manager. Um, so... Uh, to that extent, I think uh, the impact of coaches is something that even, you know, investment firms are willing to put money behind. Even Vinay has brought coaching to his entire team at stage. This is something also that we've established that without VC money, it's much harder to have a coach, right? Uh, uh, we did hire a coach when we, we had not raised any money at all. It's not that, it's not that big an investment also. You look at it, for a six-month program, if you're spending like three lakh rupees, which is higher side cost, I assume, hmm. uh, uh, on 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 one of your leadership person, like people in the company, I I don't think this is a lot of money to spend on a you know um, on a person and individually also. People do MBA programs for like twenty lakh rupees, and they are worth I don't know what. So. I mean, this but is so the signaling, the signaling of an MBA is so much stronger than you know. I went to this leader. I'll tell you what. If today, if if I receive a profile, uh, mm -hmm. it has an MBA degree and it has also it also says that I done six months of coaching program with so and so person on this particular problems. Mm -hmm. I would value the coaching program so much more than the MBA program because uh, the biggest signal that a coaching program means is that you are self aware people, person. You heard it here first, folks. There is at least one CEO in the world who would hire you because you've invested in a coach rather than in an MBA. 
Look, the star swimmers in school all had coaching outside of school. Many MBAs who go abroad pay to get extra help with their applications. We all know mothers who jealously guard where their topper daughters went to maths tuitions. But in some form or another, we've all watched people benefit from paying for extra coaching all our lives. This is that except it's for professional excellence for the most ambitious and comes with a price tag that denies all but the most successful access this is how the top stay at the top which is to say that if you find yourself with access to an executive coach grab the opportunity with both hands and if you can already afford it grab the nearest male ceo and ask him for a recommendation i actually had a coaching with a different person uh, once in between uh, which was just to build a reading habit uh, and now you have a reading habit that you like yes I, i i i do i do and i love it this is what true luxury looks like this was a podcast from the ken this episode of cost to company was written hosted and produced by sneha vakaria with audio engineering by rajiv cn if you have thoughts feelings or episode ideas write to us at podcast at the-ken.com If you like the podcast and want to know more, follow the Ken Web on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If there's something interesting going around in your workplace, any trend you've been seeing but nobody else is really talking about, fill in the type form linked in the show notes. It'll take you maximum two minutes, and if we like your idea, we might call you on the podcast as a guest. It's happened in the past too, so please fill in the form. I'm Shrivar, the other host of Costa Company, and you'd think that employee ghosting. is a thing of the past especially in this economy but my guests tell me to think again and the way companies are ghost busting is also quite ingenious some call it the post offer follow up process some call it preboarding see call it what you want companies are willing to go beyond the first order to make sure that talented individuals don't leave their employers before they even join how we'll find out in the next episode of cost to company stay tuned